0: Hashtag the agenda for uh, the last time. The big idea of this whole series is that what Jesus gave his disciples in what we know as the Lord's Prayer was a summary of not only how to pray, but a summary of how to live. The disciples had lived with Jesus for a while and then they went to him and they said, Lord, teach us how to pray like you. What they had seen in the life of Jesus is that his praying, that his life flowed out of his praying and his praying flowed out of his life, that there was this seamless interconnection with his connection with his father, and then the way that he went on to live. So when they say, Lord, teach us to pray, it wasn't so much, Lord, teach us words that we should say, but teach us the rhythms Teach us the things that are important. Teach us how to live with this interconnectedness between what we pray for and how we go out and live week by week and day by day. An agenda, not just for when we gather to pray, but an agenda for us to live, for us to experience, and for us to grow in. And we've seen that rhythm, that agenda, played out through the different verses of the Lord's Prayer. That The call to live out of the right identity of knowing God as our Father. Some weeks ago when we looked at that, we saw how everything that we're called to do as a Christian only really makes sense if we understand Understand that we are his children and he is our Father. Living for the right purpose when we looked at kingdom, living under the right provision as we looked at daily bread, living with the right relationships and community as we looked at forgiveness and releasing each other's debts and so on. And all of those are available uh, if you want forward slash the agenda on uh, the website. Today, as we come into land, we see that the rhythm of life where Jesus ended, the agenda with which he came into land was that we might live each day in victory. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And some manuscripts add, for yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The agenda for our lives is that we might break out of the clutches of evil and that day by day we might smash free from the evil one. How cool is that as we look around our world today? But before we think about what that might mean, let's just dig into what these verses might actually be saying, because there's more to them than at first meets the eye. For example, the word that is often translated as temptation has in some Bibles now been translated as trials. And uh, maybe, I think the uh, Pew Bibles are are probably not up to date enough, uh, but there might even be in the Pew Bibles a footnote, certainly is in NIVs today, a footnote that says it could mean trials, not just temptations, but trials. So it, it could mean lead us not into temptation when you are enticed to do something that you shouldn't do, but it could also mean, do not be led uh, or lead us away from trials. Now, trials can come to us for a whole variety of reasons and have a different feel uh, about them. And you'll see the English footnote there. Certainly if you're on um, uh, uh, U version, or if you're using Bible Gateway app, you'll see it all there. So which is it? Is it not to be led into temptation? Or is it not to be led into trials? Or, or does it mean that at all? Given that Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted. And clearly we're anticipating that as Christians we're going to face a lot of trials. Jesus very succinctly put it. In this world you will have. Oh you haven't read that, word, <laughs> that verse in your Bible. In this world we will have trouble it says. Uh, those were some of the, the, the last words of Jesus to his disciples, comforting or what. So, how, how, do, we, how do we look at all this? Is, and are we, in any case, really praying, God, please don't lead me towards temptation. As if God might be tempted to do that, Excuse use the pun. Does God ever tempt us well we know that God doesn't tempt us and James made that clear he says don't ever think for a moment when you're tempted hey God is tempting me for God cannot be tempted by evil nor does he tempt anyone so we know that God doesn't tempt and we also know that we are likely to face all kinds of trials consider it pure joy my brothers and sisters whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance So we know that God doesn't tempt and we know that we will face all kinds of trials. So what's lying behind these verses is a longing made clear in the second phrase, made clear is that we need God's rescue, we need God's deliverance from temptation and we need God's rescue and deliverance in the time of trial. Do not lead us into temptation is do not lead us to where we'll be tempted, although there's a lesson in that for all of us. If you don't want to fall off the cliff, don't walk near the edge. But rather lead us not to fall into temptation. To deliver us from whatever ways, through temptations and trials, the evil of this world and the evil one personified would seek to grab hold of us. It's a call to pray for victory in the face of whatever temptations and trials we might be experiencing. So a few thoughts then about what it might mean to live in victory what does it mean to live in victory in a world that is kind of oppressive and destructive what does it mean to live in victory when all around we face temptations and trials not so much on a daily basis but on a nanosecond basis firstly we're called to a daily victory Sometimes when I think about victory in my life, I think about the big end goal. I'd love it when I'm free from, I'd love it when that has been sorted, I'd love it when that has come to an end, whatever it might be, a big scale kind of, I'm looking for the big victory. But Paul reminds the Ephesians, in the verse there on the screen, to make the most of every opportunity, to seize every moment And remember, we are to pray for daily bread. So what if I stop thinking about achieving the big victory and just concentrate on today's victory? For example, freedom from alcohol, the big victory, is achieved one moment of saying no followed by another. The big victory looks after itself if I focus on the little victory. If I want to uh, get into a regular routine of reading my Bible every day, then I will achieve that one day at a time. One day at a time. So there we go, just thought of that. Terrible what pops into your head, is not it? So so we think about the big victory, and we go, I can't achieve that. You know, someone comes up and says, Oh, I've been reading my Bible every morning for an hour for seven hundred years, and you go, Oh, can't do that. And you concentrate on the big you think, I'll never get to the big victory. But what about just one day? What about just tomorrow? And then just the next day? Daily bread daily victories. Let's, let's think about the victories that we are seeking in our lives and break them down to daily or even momentary. We think big, I want to take the mountain, but maybe today I just have to take the first ridge. Maybe today I just have to get to base camp. I mean, base camp of, of um, Everest is about halfway up the mountain, isn't it, for goodness sake? I'm just going to get to base camp today. Just going to get to the ridge. Just going to, just going to, just going to. So what do we need victory over? Well, we've been talking about it already. We need uh, victory over temptation. How how do we get victory over temptation? Well, uh, two things I want us to think about. To remember lies and eyes. Remember lies and eyes. A temptation is Always lying. Always. A temptation is always promising something that it cannot deliver. It's always a lie. Think about the first story of temptation, Eve. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say? It's just a subtle lie. Okay? Subtle by implication. The enemy can be subtle. Did God really say... You must not eat from any tree in the garden. Eve gets hooked in. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will die. By verse 4, the enemy is really bold. Subtle lie to a blatant lie. You will not certainly die. It's the lie at the heart of Temptation. And then it goes on, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, which of course we wouldn't be knowing good for, though we would know good and evil. So it, it is at the heart, at the root of every temptation you face, every temptation I face is a lie. All temptation therefore is the same. And you combat, combat lies with, with truth, with truth. And the more familiar we become with the truth, the faster we can spot a lie. And there's a reason, isn't there, why the evil one is called the father of lies." And if you pull back, if you pull back the kind of curtains on any and every temptation, we discover at its root a lie. So people say to me, we're going to live together before we get married because that will make our marriage stronger. That's a lie. Statistically, it makes it much more vulnerable. That's not true. Every temptation has at its root a lie. I'm going to hold on to this hurt because it will teach that person a lesson. I had that a few weeks ago. Will it? No, that's a lie. That's a, every temptation has a lie at its root. If I get that job, if I have that opportunity, or if those circumstances change, then I will really serve God. Probably not. If you're not serving him now, it's unlikely that you'll serve him then. At the root of all temptation is a lie, and we combat the lies with the truth. So think about lies, But you also have to think about eyes as well. Temptation comes through our mind in what we think, but it also comes through our eyes in the form of what we see. Notice how Eve was seduced by what she saw. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, she was hooked. Once she'd seen it, It had a power over her that it might not have had she not looked. When she saw, temptation comes in powerfully through our eyes. And we see that at a very basic level, isn't it? You walk around John Lewis and you want things you never knew you needed. It's why you go into John Lewis, we need a new teapot, and you come out with garden chairs and a hot tub. Because you see... And you think, I want that, because I've seen it. And it wasn't even on your, in your mind, let alone in your heart. But once you start seeing something, you think, I want that. You've all seen something that someone has, and you wanted it, whereas you didn't before you'd seen it. Very powerful, what comes in through our eyes. 1 John, uh, towards the end of the Bible, talks about the lust of the eyes. Not just a sexual reference, but what we see has a kind of hold over us because our eyes, Jesus said, are the lamp of the whole body. So we need to be careful what comes in through our eyes. Let's go to the shops and have a look around. No, that's a bad idea. You will want things you don't need. That's why people end up being seduced and spending money they haven't got to buy things they don't need. What goes through the eyes? As such, It's why many marriages are shipwrecked on the altar of pornography because what goes in through the eyes is really powerful and has a hold over us so quickly and so easily so as you seek today's victory so you're not going to take the whole mountain today but you're going to go to base camp you're going to go to the next ridge you're going to get up to the next level whatever that might mean for you as you seek today's victory what are you thinking and where are you looking can you see how those are really important questions can you? Suddenly there was silence in the room, all on my own. What truth do you need to combat the lie that is seducing you? And where do you need to look or to avert your gaze in order to stop it having a hold on you? If you're feeling low and you're prone to stuff, don't switch the shopping channel on. If food is your vice, don't open the fridge. If pornography is your issue, go to bed when your spouse does or don't flick through the channels when you're tired or whatever it might be. You can see what I'm saying about but what you think and what you see. And it, it doesn't matter what the temptation is. So think about the temptation to be selfish. At the root of that temptation is a lie. I'm being selfish because I think I'll, I'll, I'll feel better if I am that's what we think otherwise we wouldn't do it we don't do it to make ourselves feel bad we do it because they think it's better for me I'm going to be selfish right now because I think I deserve it and I think it will be better for me isn't that what we're saying when we're selfish? so it's a lie so what truth do we need to bring to bear on the lie the truth goes something like or perhaps in the form of a question will being selfish bless me enrich my relationships and take me to a more fulfilled and spacious place will it? Answer, no. Bring the truth to bear on the lie of the temptation. And what am I looking at when I'm tempted to be selfish? I'm looking at my own needs, my own desires, and it's tying me up in knots. I need to avert my gaze. Tempted to be unforgiving, what am I thinking? Maybe again in a form of a question. Will being unforgiving bless me, enrich my relationships, and take me to a more fulfilled and spacious place? No. So stop it then. Let's just stop that, shall we? Because it doesn't work. And when I'm tempted to, to, to hold on to hurt and unforgiveness, what am I looking at? I'm looking at my own hurt. I'm, I'm, look, I'm stroking my own hurt. I'm looking at the wound inside. I'm saying, oh, oh, oh. And it's time just to give it to Jesus and let him heal it. We've got to avert our gaze and let it go. So Paul was right when he said, finally, it's about what you think and what you see. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, whole list of things that you see, think about such things. Lies and eyes are crucial factors in the daily victory. But it's hard, isn't it? I've made it sound obvious, because it is, but it's hard. So remember a few things that might help you today. It's only a temptation. Paul says everyone's had this. Nothing that isn't common to everybody. Nothing that you and Jesus, Jesus who was tempted in, what does it say? Every way except, well, without sin. So everything, So nothing that you're experiencing he doesn't understand or relate to. Nothing that you're experiencing he hasn't got the ability to overcome. There's nothing that you and Jesus can't handle together. It's only a temptation. Think about Jesus for a moment. He's a red-blooded male and a prostitute is anointing his feet with oil and wiping his feet with her hair. How hard is that? Honestly. Think about Jesus on the cross and the whole idea that he could call down a thousand angels at any moment. How hard is that? The longing to justify yourself and to to put it right. And he could have at a moment, in an instant, but he chose not to. Nothing that you... It's only a temptation. Nothing you and Jesus can't handle together. You can do it, Paul says. Uh, He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And thirdly, there is always a way out. You just need to take it. We're called then to a daily victory over temptation. Look after the little things... Look after the little decisions and the rest takes care of itself. Daily victories lead to a lifetime of victory. We are called then to a daily victory over temptation itself. The other thing that is encaptured in these verses is the idea of trials, trials, which are different altogether, aren't they? We have trials for all kinds of different reasons, all different types of trials. My baby has been awake all night. That's a trial. I'm losing my health. That's a trial. I'm Suffering with grief—that's a trial. I've been hurt by a friend; that's a trial. I haven't got enough money; that's a trial. I can't find a job; that's a trial. Whatever, trials come in all kinds of shapes and sizes. Trials is a massive area that's got a kind of different emphasis from temptation. And if the enemy can't get you in temptation, he'll get you in trials. And 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 actually, I, I, I think that's true. Okay, that's just my observation. That some people that live beautifully for Jesus, live pure and holy lives, they go through a heck of a lot of rubbish. That's been my experience. That's my observation of people I know who you go, you know the kind of people you go, they know Jesus way better than me. You meet those kind of people? And uh, so, trials, temptations, and trials. Trials is massive. You seek a daily victory. What does it mean to seek a daily victory over a trial? Because if I'm going through a trial, often the trial doesn't necessarily end that day. Some trials go on for weeks, months. Some trials go on even for years, don't they? Uh, So what does it mean for a daily victory in the midst of a trial? Just hold that thought. I want to think about Jesus on the cross for a moment. And the reason that I want to think about Jesus on the cross is that trials attack the area of our identity. So if you are sick... What question will you ask? Why? You will ask why? And, and kind of part of that question why is by inference, maybe God doesn't love me as much as somebody else. Why has God, and people will articulate it like this, uh, and even if we don't speak it out, we feel it. Well, well, why has God let this happen to me? Am I not as significant, important, valued, and loved as everyone else around me or those that aren't suffering in the particular way that I am? God doesn't love me if this is happening. The biggest thing about a trial is to remember your identity. Now, Jesus was given his identity at his baptism. He had it already, but the Father declared it over him. This is my beloved Son. Immediately after that he goes into the wilderness and what does the devil attack? I'll let you off because none of you are here for the first sermon in this series, were you? So you won't have heard it but you can get it back online. The desert it was funny, wasn't it? No? The desert, desert, desert. The, the desert Satan attacks Jesus' identity three times if you are the son of God. All about identity. Because this whole notion of temptation, trials and identity are all wrapped up. So three times Jesus gives back. What, how does he combat temptation? Do, with the lie. He combats the lie with the truth. Okay, just like we need to do. So three attacks on his identity. And then something I hadn't seen until recently. Isn't the, isn't the Bible brilliant? It's got loads of stuff in there we haven't seen yet. Um, On the cross, Jesus' identity, reminiscent of the temptations, was attacked three times. I think Luke records it the best. The rulers, first of all, sneered at Jesus. He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ. What are they saying? Prove it. Prove that you are who you say you are. Prove that you really are truly God's Son. They were attacking his identity. Then the soldiers joined in, mocking, and said, If you are the King of the Jews, then save yourself. And then even the two criminals on the cross, third time, the same way, attacked Jesus' identity. Criminals on the cross, are you the Christ? Sorry, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. His identity had taken an absolute hammering. And my experience in trials is that above all else, what we need to hold on to, what becomes a daily victory is for my identity as a child of God to remain as solid and as secure as ever And at the end of all of that hammering that Jesus had taken on his identity with the weight of the world's sin crushing down on him, separating him from his father, still his identity was intact. And at the end of it all, a beautiful, beautiful phrase, the first words out of his mouth, Father, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. It doesn't matter what I've been through, doesn't matter what I have felt, doesn't matter how awful this has been, doesn't matter how many different things have changed because of this trial we have gone through together. I am your child and I can still call you father. That is an amazing thing. That is the call on our lives. Day by, lead us, rescue us from temptations and trials, deliver us from evil as we hold on to our identity. Our Father, honoured be your name. If we remember our identity, each day, If we have those little daily victories, one victory after another victory after another victory, so the reality of an endless victory becomes real in our experience. We are called to a daily victory over trials. And we are also called secondly to a daily victory or an endless victory. Here we go. It's coming now. I think. Here we go. To an endless victory becomes real in our experience. So a daily victory, which is temporal and earthy, breaks into the reality that not only is the victory for today, but there is a victory that goes on endlessly into eternity. And Paul puts it like that. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all so your little daily victories become stakes in the ground that one day because i am god's child because i can call him father because i am a son or a daughter whatever circumstances whatever's happening whatever we're going through because that identity is always safe and secure one day we will break into this victory that will go on forever unstoppable Oh man, oh man. Which is why the psalmist, who was often in a right pickle, because of his his identity was secure, the psalmist was able to say, actually no one, no one whose hope is in you, no one who belongs to you, no one who serves you as God and king will ever be put to shame. And why Paul so famously said, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us for i am convinced that neither death nor life angels or demons present nor the future nor any powers neither height nor depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of god that is in christ jesus our lord these words speak of an endless victory so we need to get to the ridge today but one day the mountain will be taken That's the guarantee. And it's a guarantee because of our identity, which is why it's so important, that opening phrase, our Father, because we belong uh, to him. So perhaps back to that question uh, a few moments ago. How firm is your identity in Christ today? How firm is your identity as a child of God today? Maybe the victory today in your trial, in your hour of temptation is to rediscover the truth that you are his and he belongs to you and you belong to him. An unshakable covenant where the two have become one. How firm is your identity as a child of God? And then lastly, Lastly and quickly. Oh, we got all these, haven't we? Here we go. The third thing is, and the final thing is. It's a very simple but powerful strand that goes right the way through this whole agenda for living. And it's this. We're called to a shared victory. It's not about whether you win, which is how we've been taught to think about it. It's about whether the team wins. It's about whether the community wins. So you have to make sure you win But that's why it's all about us. That's why the Lord's Prayer is all about us. A shared victory. It's all plural, isn't it? Our Father. Our daily bread. Your kingdom come in us. It's all community language. So, the question then, who are you helping to win at the moment? Who are you helping to win at the moment? Because winning yourself is not the only goal. We have to fight for others in the hour of temptation, we have to fight for others. In their time of trial. Because their trial is our trial. Their win is our win. Because he's called us together. And the great picture at the end of time is people from every tribe. It's about a communal winning. And the early church understood something about the dynamic of the need for them to win together. So who are you helping to win? Who are you? You know, that, the, um, the, the image of holding up Moses' arms in prayer. Who, who, who's, who are you holding up just now? Who are you fighting for over these summer weeks? Whose win, other than your own, is really on your heart? And what will you do about that opportunity? What will you do about that opportunity? Let's pray. Father, our Father, I going to pray this morning, first and foremost, that whether we resonate with facing a time of temptation or being in an hour of trial, that in these moments, you would reaffirm our identity as your children. We are loved by you with an everlasting love. We are loved by you with a love that will never let us go. That will never forsake us or abandon us. A love that will never weaken towards us. We are yours and you are ours, a covenant sealed in your blood. May that identity flow through our being today, that we might think truth more clearly. That we might see all that is good and noble and well more easily. May we remember the lies and where we let our eyes go. And may we remember our identity today. And whether you want to just open your hands in front of you or just sit quietly, I just pray today, Lord, would you give each of your children what we need? Would you give us what we need? Deliver us from temptation. Rescue us in the time of trial. And set us free from evil and the evil one who prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And so we resist the enemy, confident of the truth in your word. If you resist the enemy, he will flee from you. And we declare as children of God that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And we declare the truth that as children of God, our light and momentary troubles are but a twinkling for all the victory that awaits us as your children, that you will lead us in your triumphant procession. For yours is the kingdom. And the power. And the glory. Yours is it all forever and ever. And ever and ever and ever. Amen. Amen.